Hello and welcome to Archie's Poetry Pickle Jar, the only place where we pickle the poems we know you'll like. Each week, we are joined by a world-beating poet to talk about a world-beating poem. They talk to us about why it moves them, why it hits them, why they always end up going back to it. And this week, we are joined by a T.S. Eliot Prize-nominated poet, a playwright, editor, agitator, teacher and organiser. She's the author of 10 stage plays, four chapbooks and five collections. And her fifth collection, Velvel's Violin. Is that a good pronunciation? Yes, and it is a bit of a problem because when I called it that, I hadn't really thought about how difficult it was to say, <laughs> which is a bit of a weird thing for a poet. But there you are, Velvel's Violin, yes. Her fifth collection, Velvel's Violin, will be out from Nine Arches Press in July 2023. On a gig, I met this poet in Sheffield and she listened to me and a couple others to moan about poems and also celebrate poems so I thought it was a brilliant person to bring into the studio and it's Jacqueline Safra. How are you doing Jacqueline? Yeah I'm very well thank you. Um, it's nice to have you here. Are you how are you feeling about do you actually you know like I brought out this debut and I felt a certain way when it came out when I was bringing it out. After you've brought out more than one book in different mediums do you feel the same things i think it's all it always feels like the first time in a oh, weird great. sort of way just like <laughs> is that good or bad i think that's i think that's good i mean um, i'm certainly not complacent and i'm and uh i'm equally probably more terrified honestly it's a bit like having babies you know people say you forget how much it hurts i did not forget how much it hurts um, that it gets more scary because you sort of, you know, you, you set out on this journey kind of excited and you don't know what it's going to be like. And of course, sometimes a, a collection sinks without trace and, you know, and, and that makes it difficult to want to publish another one because you just think, will anyone even notice it's there? Um, you have to love the work for the sake of the work, you know, and that's the only thing that's ever going to keep you going. But yeah, so you say that as one of your bits of advice. What other bits of advice to poets like interested in the marathon rather than the 100 meter sprint? I've been thinking a lot about this actually because I'm doing a reading that is going to last an hour tomorrow. And I, wow. I was thinking, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, when I agreed to do it, it's the Tynmouth Festival. And when I agreed to do it, I thought I, I didn't pay attention to how long it had to be. And I was preparing for it last week and, and I realized this reading was an hour. Um, and it, it concentrated my mind because I thought, how do I, how do I structure a reading for an hour that is not based on a particular book? So I began to look over my whole body of work thus far. And um, I realized that, that one of the themes that keeps coming up again and again is this question of accountability, responsibility, um, empathy, uh, all those things and how I was brought up with this sense that uh, in some way I was responsible for that. Not responsible but by myself, but part of my responsibility was to uh, do good things and care about people who were suffering. Mm. And so you feel that need to make change is kind of like a driving force that has pushed the work forward. Now, with hindsight, I, I very much see that. And mm. the, the most recent book, um, Valvel's Violin, um, uh, is about Jews and Jewishness. But then in a wider sense, it's, it's also about 
you know, th- the big issues of, of prejudice and displacement and migration and belonging and home and all those things. Um, and part of the impetus for that comes from my upbringing, I think. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to hear that. And then when you're putting together the hour show, you're trying to uh, create like a thread that links all of the shows together. And is that empathy and understanding you think is the thing that's going to pull it together? Yes, I think. And it's also what is your moral compass? What is, you know, what are your ethics? How can you live those out or not? Because obviously we're all human and fallible and I, as much as anyone, have my selfishness, you know, and and my children and my family. Um, And at the same time, I'm constantly aware that there's a world out there that's that's where terrible, terrible things are happening. You know, how do we balance these things? So it's not about answers and it's not about being a perfect person, but I guess it's about constantly asking yourself those questions, which is exhausting in in its own way. I love that. And um, speaking of work, you brought a poem in by Raymond Carver. Do you want to introduce the poem and read it? And then I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yes. So uh, I suppose I should say first off that there are many poems that I love and it was really difficult to choose one. And I also am aware that I chose one by a dead white guy who is also not a formalist. And so this is not something I would normally do. But somehow or other in my own mind, Carver has has a free pass. I, I don't know why. I think it's something to do with his vulnerability and his openness and his willingness to acknowledge his own weaknesses. Limits. All that day, we banged at geese from a blind at the top of the bluff, busted one flock after the other until our gun barrels grew hot to the touch. Geese filled the cold grey air, but we still didn't kill our limits. The wind driving our shot every which way. Late afternoon and we had four, too shy of our limits. Thirst drove us off the bluff and down a dirt road alongside the river. To an evil-looking farm surrounded by dead fields of barley where, almost evening, a man with patches of skin gone from his hands let us dip water from a bucket on his porch. Then asked if we wanted to see something, a Canada goose he kept alive in a barrel beside the barn. The barrel covered over with screen wire rigged inside like a little cell. He'd broken the bird's wing with a long shot, he said, then chased it down and stuffed it in the barrel. He'd had a brainstorm. He'd used that goose as a live decoy. In time, it turned out to be the damnedest thing he'd ever seen. It would bring other geese right down on your head, so close you could almost touch them before you killed them. This man, he never wanted for geese. And for this, his goose was given all the corn and barley it could eat and a barrel to live in and shit in. I took a good long look and, unmoving, the goose looked back, only its eyes telling me it was alive. Then we left, my friend and I, still willing to kill anything 
that moved, anything that rose over our sights. I don't recall if we got anything else that day. I doubt it. It was almost dark anyhow. No matter now. But for years and years afterwards, living on the staple of bitterness, I didn't forget that goose. I set it apart from all the others, living and dead. Came to understand one can get used to anything and become a stranger for nothing. Saw that betrayal is just another word for loss, for hunger. Yeah, it's if uh, you read it so well there. Thank you so much for uh, bringing it in. It is haunting, actually. Tell us a bit about what you, why you feel it's so haunting. Why do you think it's stuck with you like it has? Well, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about sort of ethics and a moral compass. And I think this is about the cruelty of the human world very much set up against the, um, uh, the, the natural world and, and the way that animals sometimes stick together. Um, mm. And I'm thinking about the, the goose in the cage calling the other geese and the geese innocently coming, not realising what they're coming to. So it, it, it's a nightmarish scene. And there's so much more in it as well about um, guns, guns and the human ability to kill. And mm. I'm thinking about the gun laws as well. So, you know, the, the, all the problems with the gun laws in America at the moment. Yeah, um, and 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 the idea of human rights and this, I mean, that line really sticks for me is like, one can get used to anything and become a stranger to nothing. Um, yeah. And the first half of it, one can get used to anything I really get got straight away. But the idea of being a stranger to nothing, it really, I read this a few days ago, and it really, um, I really thought about that a lot. And the hunger being not just hunger, but the hunger for progress, um, as well as the hunger, which is an emptiness. Yeah, and acquisition, you know, uh, and somehow winning, you know. Uh, it's interesting, this this phrase, kill kill our limits, because I, I've looked it up, and there isn't actually a, a, a phrase like that with hunting. But there is a phrase which is bag our limits, which is you're allowed to have so many of, of certain animals in in a bag when you're hunting whatever you're catching there's usually a quota and, and that's called bagging your limits so that's where it comes from but he used the word kill kill our limits which of course is a very different and um, much more accurate description of what is actually going on is it because it, it you know it's they're killing the geese yeah it's it's interesting that part of it i mean i, I think that runs through it also because it feels it feels quite factual and to the point and up to an extent emotionless at points uh, because the speaker never says it was horrible when I saw that, you know. Yes. And, and in fact, the nearest you get to it is at the end for years and years afterwards, living on the staple of bitterness. I didn't forget that goose. And that's the, the moment where where he lets us in a little chink to what what is going on in his life of course carver had a very had a disastrous life and he, apart from being an alcoholic he was also a failure because he kept starting to do all kinds of interesting things and then not being able to get through them uh and and also had a terror you know he was awful to his wife 
I I kind of separate the the poet from the poem where I can, which is which is how I can tolerate Carver because I think there's a lot of wisdom underneath that. But that staple of bitterness, I mean, imagine living on a staple of bitterness. There's glimpses of it in the evil-looking farm, which, which is such yeah. a hilarious term. In that we haven't learned yet that the farm is doing this thing. And I don't even know whether this thing is quite a normal thing. Like maybe it's quite an accepted thing. I don't know. But I love like on that third stanza says uh, in time, it turned out to be the damnedest thing he'd ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing Raymond Carver is an American and it feels like it's got that voice of two people just chatting about something on the on the veranda or the porch. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he, he was a short story writer probably even more than he was a poet. Um, and what, what's interesting about this poem, I, don't, I, I hope that I got the, the line breaks into the reading, because I think the line breaks are so interesting. And the sounds as well, that first phrase is so fabulous. All that day we banged at geese from a blind at the top of the bluff. I mean, it sounds like the beginning of, you know, it sounds quite rollicking, doesn't it? And you've got the... the um, alliteration with the blind and the bluff it's important to pull a reader in uh before showing before devastating them through language and through blind breaks and through beauty because mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the time you get down and you say a canada goose he kept alive in a barrel beside the barn the barrel covered over with screen wire rigged inside like a little cell he'd broken the bird's wing with a long shot he said then chased it down and stuffed it in the barrel I think it's the stuffed it. Yeah. And, and then the friction with, he'd had a brainstorm. <laughs> yeah. And it comes with an exclamation mark. Because mm. there's not very much punctuation in the poem, except there is that exclamation mark right there. And what do you think that's doing there? Um, well, I think it's giving us a sense of the character and diction of the, of the speaker. It's about halfway through the poem, isn't it? And it feels like a, a big sort of turning point. And I think it's a um, pivot, as it's a centre point because it's that whole crux of like humankind had a brainstorm. Had, the sadness is really put in that line. Um, we used our brain power to have those sorts of revelations. Yeah, of course, it was a big turn, turning point in human history, wasn't it? When humans started farming animals, you know, like imprisoned them and farmed them. You know, it's enough to turn you into a vegan. I really appreciate this poem because I'm not a massive narrative poem person, but this one does things. Thank you for inviting me. It's been really great to talk to you. Limits by Raymond Carver All that day we banged at geese from a blind at the top of the bluff, busted one flock after the other, until our gun barrels grew hot to the touch. Geese filled the cold grey air, but we still didn't kill our limits. The wind drive in our shot every which way, late afternoon and we had four too shy of our limits. Thirst drove us off the bluff and down a dirt road alongside the river. To an evil-looking farm surrounded by dead fields of barley, where, almost evening, A man with the patches of skin gone from his hands let us dip water from a bucket on his porch, then asked if we wanted to see something, a Canada goose he kept alive in a barrel beside the barn. 
the barrel covered over with screen wire rigged inside like a little cell. He'd broken the bird's wing with a long shot, he said, then chased it down and stuffed it in the barrel. He'd had a brainstorm. He'd used that goose as a live decoy. In time, it turned out to be the damnedest thing he'd ever seen. It would bring other geese right down on your head. So close you could almost touch them before you killed them. This man, he never wanted for geese. And for this, his goose was given all the corn and barley it could eat and barrel to live in and shit in. I took a long, good look and on moving, the goose looked back. Only its eyes telling me it was alive. Then we left, my friend and I. Still willing to kill anything that moved, anything that rose over our sights. I don't recall if we got anything else that day. I doubt it. It was almost dark anyhow. No matter, now. But for years and years afterwards, living on a staple of bitterness, I didn't forget that goose. I set it apart from all the others, living and dead. Came to understand one can get used to anything and become a stranger to nothing. Saw that betrayal is just another word for loss, for hunger. <laughs>